You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. It's uh, good to be here with you, and especially good to want to give a greeting to my, my dear brothers and sisters with the white and blue stars on their jerseys, just the way the Lord intended. Good to have you in the house as well. Uh, we are going to be opening our Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, probably not a, um, an oft-read book of the Bible, but a, a very important one nonetheless. If you're joining us uh, for the first time this morning, whether you are here in person or online, good to have you with us. We are picking up where we left off last week in a three-week sermon series <clears throat> called, Why Did This Happen? Why Did This Happen? A question that we all find ourselves asking. Last week, we talked about the one thing that we all have in common. No matter what your background is, no matter what your race or class or sex or political affiliation or wherever you come from, whoever you are, the one thing that every person has in common is that we all experience pain. We all have pain in our lives. We talked last week about the three ways that we uh, relate with one another in our pain. Number one, that we all have experienced varying levels of pain. I mean, it's a, it's, it levels the playing field in so many ways. Some of you have had uh, more minor pain, but within your context, that's the, the deepest you've gone, and it hurts, and you're trying to deal with it. Some of you have had high-level trauma in your life. You're working through that. Regardless of, of what level it is, we all have some of it in our lives. The second thing we said was that we've all made bad choices as a result of our pain. So in other words, none of us have handled this perfectly, right? We, we, we often act out of our pain. We, we experience some circumstance in our life that's very difficult to deal with, and we don't deal with it well. And we make choices that oftentimes compounds that pain in our life to a much higher level. And third, and, and really where we landed for much of last week and, and again this week, is that we all want an explanation for our pain. We all want an explanation for our pain. We all, when we experience something hurtful in our lives, it often leaves us asking the question, why did this happen? Now, if you missed last week, we focused primarily on choices, right? One of the most important distinctions that we made last week that I want to clarify again for you this morning is the difference between circumstances and choices. Circumstances are those things that are beyond your control. They're the result of sin and a fallen world. No matter how you live, no matter what choices you make, you can't avoid them. They're just going to happen. It's just a part of living in a fallen uh, post-Genesis 3 world. But if we're being totally honest... A lot of our pain is the result not from circumstances, but from the choices that we've made, particularly the unwise choices. And so we spent last week in the book of Proverbs, and what we found was that Proverbs sees the world in very simple terms. Proverbs essentially says that if you live by God's wisdom, you will be blessed, and if you live foolishly without wisdom, you will face consequences. Life is very predictable in the book of Proverbs. It's very simple. So we need wisdom. If we have wisdom, we can expect blessing. Now, what is wisdom? That was one of the things we talked about, that wisdom is an attribute. It's an attribute of God that is woven into the fabric of creation. Proverbs 3.19 says that the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, and by understanding, he established 
the heavens. It's woven into the fabric of creation. It's one of the binding laws in our world. Not only that, but it's an action. Wisdom isn't something you know. Wisdom is something you do. It's an action. It guides your life and the choices that you make. And it is available. That was the third thing. Anyone can find it. It's available. It's crying out in the streets. It wants to be heard. And anyone who is willing to humble themselves can hear and take in God's wisdom. But humility is the key. And that is because there is also a channel by which wisdom comes to us. And that channel is the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And we talked about that, what that word means. It's not a word that means timidity or, or cowardice. It's a word that means reverence or respect. And, and so the idea behind fearing the Lord is rightfully understanding that you are not God, but that God is and to live with that reality in mind. And so it requires humbling yourself. It requires admitting powerlessness over your life and the things that are in front of you and giving up control over the things that you really think you have control over, but, but you actually don't have control over them. You are then, and only then, able to live in the wisdom of God. And when you do that, you begin to make better choices, and thus the higher probability of a better life comes to you with less painful experiences. It's not guaranteed, because again, Proverbs is about probabilities, not promises. We talked about that last week as well, but it's generally true. It's not always true, but in general, it is true. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? The world is not as simple as Proverbs makes it out to be. Can we amen to that? Yes, the world is not as simple. It is not as predictable as Proverbs wants us to think that it is. It is actually very unpredictable. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Life seems very confusing at times. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1, the teacher says again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Those who are experiencing pain, no one was there to comfort them. This seems very unfair. And then he says, and power was on the side of the oppressors. And they have no comforter. They have all the power in the world. They're doing everything, whatever they want. They're the bad guys, and yet it seems like they have blessing. They're the good guys, and yet it seems like no one cares for them. The world is not fair. It is an unfair and unjust place. And so in the same way that Proverbs is helpful for us in determining how to make better choices in our lives, Ecclesiastes is equally helpful in helping us make sense of these unfair circumstances that come up that we experience. Now, I want you this morning to think about this as less of a sermon and more of, imagine you've just walked in, okay, it's a Friday night, and you're signed up for a weekend life-enriching seminar. Yeah, like Tony Robbins, right? You are, with less F-bombs, you are going to have an incredible life-enriching seminar this morning. And if you've ever been to one of these seminars, you know that there's always this keynote speaker, and he's, he's like an expert in the field, and he has tons of experience in what he's talking about, and he's energetic, and he's encouraging, and you leave there feeling really pumped up. This is exactly what we find in the book of Ecclesiastes. The primary voice of this book is someone that we refer to as the teacher or the preacher. Now, I don't want you to think about this in terms of preacher. I think that's a loaded term. I think you're going to miss a little bit of the vibe of what we're getting from this guy. The teacher works. He's the main voice of this book. But there's something you need to know about this guy. This is a life-enriching seminar, but he is not an easy teacher. In fact, he's a very mean teacher. He's, he's not even mean. He's just extremely skeptical and pessimistic about the world. 
And so it comes off as mean. I remember in high school, uh, every year, it seems like, all four years, there was, there was always like one teacher in each grade that was just the meanest teacher, like renowned for how hard and mean they were. No one ever wanted to be in their classes. And it seemed like, again, life is unpredictable. I always ended up in their class. Yeah, I mean, it's like without fail, we're going to put him in, in it, every time. And I was always like, man, I just got out of that person's class, and now I'm in this person's class. And it was just always like, ugh. But when I think back all these years ago, high school's a very foggy memory for me for a lot of reasons, but um, the hardest teachers were the best teachers. They were the best ones, the, the ones that made the most impact. And so I've titled this message today, The Hardest Teachers Are the Best Teachers, because Ecclesiastes, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, he's one of those teachers. He's not nice. He doesn't pull any punches. He's very straightforward. He gives us very difficult life lessons. They're hard to come to terms with, but they're so beneficial for us to hear and wrap our, ourselves around. And so we're going to leave the seminar this morning feeling challenged, but with a very clear path ahead of us on how to move forward. Now, one word that this teacher loves to use, he uses it more than any other word in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's his favorite word. 38 times we find it. It's the Hebrew word hevel. Hevel. Say that with me. Hevel. Yeah. It's a word that usually is translated as meaningless or vanity. And so you get these really like depressing verses right off the bat in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless, right? Vanity. Everything is vanity. And, and, and you, you read Ecclesiastes sometimes wondering, why is this even in the Bible? It seems like opposite of what the Bible says. It seems strange, but I'm going to make the case that I actually think that this is a very poor translation and understanding of the Hebrew word hevel. Hevel, when literally translated, just means smoke or vapor. So what the teacher is saying is not that life is meaningless in the existential crisis, there's no hope, super dark, depressed manner. What he's saying is not that life is meaningless, but that it's hard to determine the meaning of it. It's very unclear. It's difficult to comprehend. It's like smoke. Life is like smoke. It's there one moment, and then it's gone the next. It takes the shape of something and right when your mind begins to comprehend the shape that it's taking, it changes into a different shape. It looks solid, but when you try to reach your hand out to grab it, it dissipates between your fingers. You can never quite get a hold of it. And when you're standing in the midst of it, it's extremely disorienting. It's confusing. You have no idea which direction you're walking, which way is which. He's saying that life is confusing. It's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. It's not meaningless, but it's extremely unpredictable and difficult to get your mind around it. It's hevel. Now, when we understand this, it changes the way that we read Ecclesiastes. We end up coming away with some really important life lessons that I believe are going to be crucial for you if you have faced a difficult circumstance in your life that has brought about pain in your life I believe these life lessons, when we put them together, give us a really good way forward and how to deal with this. But I'm going to give you a warning up front. Again, we're dealing with a difficult teacher. And so we have to remember, you're going to hear these life lessons. They're very hard. They're very depressing sounding. You're going to, at some point through the sermon, go, like, when do we get to the good news? Right? 
They seem like bad news at first, but if you will hang with me, we will get to a place where we're actually going to see how they're, they're actually quite helpful for us. And they ultimately not only challenge us right where we are, but direct us to use wisdom and deal with our circumstances. So are we ready? We're in a conference. I need more than that. Are we ready? All right. Life lesson number one. Here we go. We're going to get practical. Here it is. Time remembers nothing. It gets worse. The teacher reminds us that people who lived a long time ago have died and have been forgotten. And he says that actually people who will live after you, hundreds of years after this, they are also going to die and people will forget them as well. Time will march on whether you want it to or not. Whether you are tracking with it or not, it's going to do what it's going to do. It remembers nothing. He says in Ecclesiastes 1, 3, and 4, he says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. He's saying, look, you can work hard. You can store up all your riches, you can build a nice life here, you can think you're making your mark on society, that you're leaving a legacy behind you, but it's not going to last, because eventually you're going to die, and another generation is going to replace you, and then they're going to do the same thing, and then they're going to die, and another generation is going to come along and replace them, and time marches on, and it remembers nothing. He goes on to say that the wind continues to blow. No matter what you do, the wind continues to blow. The streams continue to feed the ocean. He gets to verse 9 and he says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And check this out, there's nothing new under the sun. That's one of our favorite Bible quotes. See, we put that on a, a, on a coffee mug and we feel super Christian. And it's like, this came out of one of the most depressing passages. It all keeps moving ahead. Time remembers nothing. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about this this week about how we, in 2022, we're so proud of, of what we've become, right? We think we've made such progress. And in a lot of ways we have, right? Technological advancements. Let's talk about that for a minute. There's tons of them. Technology has increased more in the last five years than it did in the previous 75 years. They say that if you woke up yesterday morning and you, you opened up the New York Times and you read every word of the New York Times from front to back, you would have, in one day, taken in more information than a person would in the 1700s in their entire life. Yeah, technology is booming. Our phones that you are sometimes distracted by when I am talking, I see you, it's okay, <laughs> let's be honest, are more powerful than the computer that landed us on the moon. Incredible technological advancement. We have architectural advancement as well. We have better, stronger houses that can withstand more of the elements. They're better than they were 100 years ago, 200 years ago, certainly 300 years ago. More features, they're bigger, they have better appliances, they have power, central air and heat. I mean, there's, there's so many advancements in architecture. The quality of life is better. We live longer today than we did 100 years ago. Thanks to medicine, modern medicine and, and, and advancement in that field. We get sick less, except for the last two years, we don't want to talk about that. And, <laughs> but mostly, we get sick less. All of that is true. We have the capability to do things today that was not possible 150 years ago or 50 years ago or even 10 years ago. But here's what the march of time proves, is that in spite of all of that growth, we're no different or better than anyone before us. And no one who comes after us will be any better than us because all of us will still experience pain because life is hevel. It's unpredictable. 
It's difficult to comprehend. Let me ask you, any of those things that I just mentioned, any of those advancements, do those, do those help you cope with your pain any better? Like, like, does losing a loved one hurt less now that we have iPhones? Is cancer less burdensome now that we have 4K TVs? Is abuse less traumatic now that we have MRI machines? They're, they're good advancements. They've done some good for us. They, they don't make us any better than anyone. Time demonstrates to us that we're, we're really no different than anyone who has come before us and anyone who will come after us. The teacher reminds us time remembers nothing. It just keeps marching on. In the end, we're no different. Seems like a downer, guys, but wait, it gets worse. Second life lesson. Here we go. Death comes for everyone. It's one promise that you can have the utmost confidence in. You can be sure, apart from Jesus returning before you die, you will die. There's a 100% guaranteed chance of that. Everyone eventually dies. Ecclesiastes 3.19, the teacher says, For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is hevel, vanity. Now, this does not mean that we are no different than animals at all, right? We, we get to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God lays out the, the creation plan, the process of creation. Six days, they're ordered, they're intentional. There's great symmetry between them. We get to the last day. God has created everything, the fish, the, fir, the, fish of the sea, the, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. He gets done with everything, and then he fashions from the dirt from the dust of the ground, man, and from his rib, he creates woman. It says he breathes the air or the breath of life into them, and in them, the image of God is placed. And we become image bearers of God. So we are different. We're, we're very different than any other aspect of creation. We are at the very top of the hierarchy of creation. So hear me say that, but when it comes to dying, you're no different than your dog or cat. You will, just like any other part of creation, eventually die. And it doesn't even matter if you're good or bad. There's, there's no morality factored into this. Ecclesiastes 9, he says, Death comes to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. Death is, in all aspects, the great equalizer of creation. And the teacher reminds us of this because... It's an important perspective that we need to keep in the forefront of our mind because in a lot of ways it will drive us in the way that we live our lives. And it's the one perspective we really don't want to have, isn't it? Like we do everything we can to forget this. We want to forget this as quickly as possible. I don't want to, I just want to pretend like death is not on the table. It's not a real threat. And there's a reason for that. It's because all of us in this room were not designed for death. Death wasn't in the blueprint for humanity. Again, when we read Genesis 1 and 2, a world without sin, man and woman were intended to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, but we were never supposed to die. So death comes as a penalty for us because of Genesis 3, because of sin. We live in a fallen world, we inherit a sinful nature, a sinful condition, and it infects every human being who has ever lived except Jesus. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That little word, all, in Greek, really amazing word, it means all. All of us. 
All of us suffer from it. And so as a result, death comes into the equation as a, as a payment, as a penalty that we have to pay in order to reconcile this debt of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It's a penalty that we all have to pay because of this sin condition that we have inherited. And so it's, it's why we experience such angst when a loved one dies. Some of you are wrestling with that right now. Some of you are wrestling that from this past year or the, the previous year before that. There's a lot of sickness. There's a lot of things happening. A lot of people have died. It's why funerals are so difficult. It's why we struggle so badly in the face of death. I've heard several people who have lost a loved one say, I don't think I can handle this. And you're right. You can't handle it. You weren't designed to handle it. Your blueprint for creation doesn't include it. It's foreign territory for you. So when death happens, it reminds us of our condition. It reminds us of what is coming. It reminds us that something is wrong with me. Something is wrong with everything. We're broken. We have to deal with that. It's hard to comprehend because it's, it's not something we were made for. And so I say that as hopefully a little bit of a, a ministering truth for you. You will at some point come up against death. And you will feel a sense of hopelessness and a sense of mourning and loss that you cannot really comprehend. And that's normal. That's expected. You weren't designed for it. You weren't meant to deal with it. We having fun yet? <laughs> Hold on, it's going to come together. Two life lessons so far. Time remembers nothing. Death comes for everyone. Here's the third one. No one can predict anything. Last week in Proverbs, what we learned is that life is actually quite predictable. If you live by wisdom and you orient your choices around God's wisdom, you can predict blessing. If you live foolishly and unwisely and you orient your choices around that, you can predict consequences. But the teacher disagrees. He says, no, no, no. Life is not that simple. Life is not that predictable. It's actually quite unpredictable. Ecclesiastes 9.1, he says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift. The fast people don't always win the race. He says, the, nor the battle to the strong. The strongest armies don't always win the wars. Nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance, like rolling a dice, baby. It's all you got. In other words, life is hevel. It's unpredictable. It should go one way, but it, but it goes another. It's like vapor. It's like smoke. You can't grasp it. You can't predict it. He goes on in verse 12. He says, for man does not know his time. You don't know when you're going to die. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. It's unpredictable for both the good and the bad. You can't predict anything. The weathermen, they're lying. They don't know. <laughs> Texans know that better than anyone else. It's a made-up job at this point. Why are we paying them, right? I'm just saying. Soapbox for another time. So those are the three life lessons of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, the big life-enriching seminar. Do we feel good? Do we feel good? You're, don't lie to me. You don't feel good about that. These three lessons, time remembers nothing, death comes for everyone, no one can predict anything, is very brutal. Some of you are probably even thinking right now, like, why did I even come to church today? I thought he was going to help me figure out why bad things have happened. He's just making it worse. It's hard to feel 
any sense of joy or hope in these three life lessons until you begin to think about the main idea that all three of them together convey. If you could smash all three of these life lessons together into one ball and summarize and synthesize it down and summarize it into one meaningful phrase, one big idea of Ecclesiastes, what would it be? Here it is. I'm going to give it to you. And it directly applies to your pain and the circumstances that you are facing right now. Here it is. Confront what is right in front of you right now. Confront what is right in front of you right now. If you are hurting, if you have experienced some painful circumstance in your life and you are reeling from that pain, the wisdom of God in Scripture says, deal with what you can right now. Now, who does this sound like? Who tells you, don't worry about tomorrow, don't worry about yesterday, deal in the present? Jesus. Yeah, Matthew 6.34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Focus on the present. Confront what is right in front of you right now. It's interesting that Jesus' half-brother, James, goes on to say something very similar to this. James 4, 13 through 16. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. He's talking to people who decide, let's up and go to another city and we'll plant there and we'll start a business, maybe a Fortune 500 company. We'll get in the tech game. We're going to make money. It's going to be amazing. We'll get at the top of our field. We're going to be sought after. We'll sell it. We'll make millions. This is what he says, verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You can't predict tomorrow. No one can. So live in the moment. Confront what you can, what's right in front of you, right now. Here's what this means for those of you who are in pain. You're going to fall into one of two categories. This is what experience says to me. Some of you are going to be tempted to go back to that circumstance in the past over and over again. You're going to revisit it over and over again and agonize over what you could have done differently. Could I have done this differently? Should I have done that instead? And what the teacher in Ecclesiastes wants you to, to understand is stop doing that. You can't change it. Stop holding on to this, this circumstance. Get out of the past. Forget about it because time has. It does you no good to keep revisiting it. Live in the present moment. Deal with what's right in front of you right now. That's the one camp. The other camp isn't as interested in the past as much as they are very worried about what the future will be like in light of the past. This is a lot of the phenomenon that's been happening with regard to COVID-19. What if that painful circumstance happens again? Only it's worse. What if, what if something else happens that I didn't even think of happens? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay back. I'm not going to let anybody into my life. I'm going to keep my distance. I'm going to keep my hands out. I don't want to let anyone close to me because I have no idea. I mean, it could happen again. It could be even worse the second time or the third time, and I don't want to feel that pain anymore. Ecclesiastes says, stop doing that. You may not even make it to tomorrow because death comes for everyone. And even if you do, you have no idea what it's going to be like because you can't predict anything. This is why life is seen as hevel to the teacher. It's there, and then it's gone. And there's no predicting anything beyond that. And it's interesting, it's exactly what Jesus' half-brother James says in verse 14, the very next part of that. He says, what is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What book of the Bible do you think James had in mind when he wrote that down? Life is hevel. It's smoke. It's vapor. It's here one minute. It's gone the next. It's hard to understand. It's unpredictable. And even when you're in the middle of it, it's disorienting. So rather than focusing on the past or the future and things that you can't control, live in the present. Confront what is right in front of you right now. Now, with that being said, if we can just be honest, and we can, it's church. We can be honest here. This is still really difficult to do, isn't it? Like I'm telling you, you've had this painful thing that happened, so just forget about the past. What can you do about it right now? That's a much taller task to do than it is to say. It's easier said than done. So to wrap this up for the rest of our time this morning, I want to give you some takeaways from my, my study of Ecclesiastes and, and things that I think hopefully will be very encouraging for you and ministering to you as you figure out what it means to confront what is right in front of you right now. And, and I want you to take that phrase with you today. I want you to think about that several times today because it will serve you well if you will take it to heart. Confront what is right in front of you right now. But how do we do that? Do that with these five things in mind. Number one, remember that everything comes to an end. Everything comes to an end. Now, that is good news if you are in the middle of pain because you can take heart in knowing that this painful season is eventually going to come to an end. Ecclesiastes 3, it's one of the most famous passages in the entire book, one of the most famous passages probably in the Old Testament, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read the whole thing because I just think it's beautiful and it illustrates exactly the spirit of what we're getting at here. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. Children's minister's favorite verse. A time to keep silence <laughs> and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. He's saying that in, in life, there's a time for everything. Which means that there's a time for everything to come to an end. So that the next thing can begin. Both good and bad they all end. And it's funny to me, I don't ever need this reminder when I'm on the mountaintop. I don't ever need to be reminded of this when things are good in my life. I am acutely aware that they are going to come to an end. Maybe it's the pessimist in me, the skeptic in me. I know that the good things will not always last. I thought about this this week, that I, I, we have uh, Six Flags passes. And I like to take my, my daughters and my two nieces to go, and, and we've done this for years, go to Six Flags, and just me and them, and I, I just, the, the kid in me, I love getting on roller coasters and the craziness of it all, and, and we're always like worn out by the end, but, but I, I thought about this, that, that there's this moment when we get on, we love the Texas Giant and the Titan, and, and so we get on these roller coasters, and there's that first initial, like, where you begin rethinking your whole life when you're on that <laughs> slow ascent, especially when you see your eight-year-old, like, what have I done, you know? 
And you get over that first hill and the drop, and you're just like, oh, the adrenaline, and it's so much fun. I have never in my life, I can be totally honest with this, I've never in my life thought to myself, this is so much fun. I don't ever, it's never going to end. Like, I know it's going to end in about 45 to 90 seconds. It's going to eventually come to an end. It's always the bad things in my life. It's always the pain that I need this reminder in. Because inevitably, I start thinking, this is it. Like, this is what my life is going to be for eternity. This right here. Nothing is ever going to get better. Never going to get beyond this. And so it's an important reminder for you, especially those of you who are in the midst of a circumstance right now, you need to be reminded that it'll pass. It'll pass eventually. There's a time for everything to eventually end and a time for a new thing to begin. Number two. This is an important one. You can either serve your pain or let your pain serve you. One of the things that we like to say around here at City on a Hill is that the worst pain is wasted pain. The worst pain is wasted pain. Pain that you experience that you learn nothing from, that, that serves you in no way, is the worst kind of pain because it was, it was truly meaningless. You, you got nothing. You, it was just a completely, complete wasted moment. You can either let pain dominate your life and dominate your experience, dominate the choices that you make, reel back from it, or you can allow God to shape you through your pain. I was reminded of a, a great excerpt from a book called See You at the House. It's written by a man named Bob Benson, where Bob recalls a time where one of his good friends had a heart attack, a massive heart attack, and um, everyone was really certain he was not going to make it. It was a devastating circumstance in his life. And by the miracle of God, he survived. Had to have quadruple bypass surgery, was in the hospital, long recovery, but he lived. And, and Bob talks about how he came to speak with his friend some months later about this experience. And he says, he sat down and they were sitting at the table and Bob said, um, hey, I wanted to ask you, how, how did you like your heart attack? And the friend said, well, it scared me almost to death, literally. And uh, Bob said, would you do it again? And the friend said, are you crazy? No, no way. And he said, would you recommend someone else having one? And he said, no, definitely not. And he said, but does your life mean more to you now than it did before? And he said, well, yeah, I suppose it does. And he said, you and Nell have always had a beautiful marriage, but do you find that you're closer to her now or, or further away? And he said, well, no, yeah, we're definitely closer. You know, she was by my side the whole time and really loved me and served me. And he says, hey, how about that new granddaughter of yours? And he said, oh, man, she's amazing. Have I shown you pictures of her? And he begins to pull out his phone and scroll to the pictures. And Bob said, do you find yourself having more compassion for people, and a deeper understanding and sympathy for others since your recovery? And he said, yeah, now that you mention it, I do. He said, do you know the Lord in a deeper and more intimate way since you almost died? And the friend said, you know, the moment that I had the heart attack, I thought that was it for me. And I prayed harder than I've ever prayed in my entire life. And, and it was just this incredible wash of, of peace over me. And Bob kind of grinned and he said, so how did you like your heart attack? You can either serve your pain and focus on all the bad aspects of it and dwell on it. Or find value in it and see how 
if, if you were willing, God shaped you through it to become a different person than you are now on the other side of it and let it serve you. There is no better way, and this is just a conviction of mine, there's no better way for a born-again believer in Christ Jesus to sort of stick it to sin and Satan than by allowing your pain to serve the kingdom of God and the advancement of his agenda. It's an amazing thing. It's hard, but it's worth it. We call it around here turning your malady into your ministry. What will happen is if you'll allow God to use you and work with you through that painful experience, he will actually open doors for you to reach people that previous to that painful experience you would have never been able to reach because you would have never been able to speak to their experience. But because you had that experience and you allowed God to work through you in that experience, it gives you now qualification and something to say to that person who's now entering into the same thing that you just got out of. It's how God uses the foolish of the world to confound the wise because at the end of the day, pain binds us all together. And if you have a meaningful, valuable experience through it and something to offer to someone else, they will nine times out of ten listen because they're just desperate for anyone to give them anything to cling on to while they're in the middle of it. So you give them the gospel and hope that God can use you just as he used me. And all of a sudden, big things begin happening for the kingdom. It's hard, but it's worth it. Three, no wrongs go unpunished. No wrongs go unpunished. You know, the, the, the likelihood of this is so true that there are many of you in this room who maybe someone has hurt you in your past. Maybe someone has wronged you in some way or cheated you or betrayed you or done something unfair or unjust to you that has left you broken and wounded. And maybe, probably more than likely, and certainly very reasonably, you are hoping to see justice done to that person. And what Ecclesiastes reminds us of, the hard truth is that sometimes justice doesn't happen to them, right? Sometimes they die before it happens. Sometimes they just get away with what they've done. And so it it feels very unfair. The world is a very unjust place. But understand, no one truly gets away with anything. The very last verse of Ecclesiastes is written not by the teacher, but by the writer of Ecclesiastes, who's actually a different person. The writer of Ecclesiastes just bundled together the teacher's teachings. And now at the very end of this book, he's weighing in on his own, kind of reflecting on the teacher's teachings. And this is what he says, Ecclesiastes 12, 14. It's the very last verse of the book. He says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. It's going to happen. Understand, we serve a God of justice. He executes justice on every wrong. We just sang a song about it, a brand new song based on Micah 6, 8. And it talks about living justly because we serve and love a just God. And in light of that, what we can take heart in is that no sin goes unnoticed. No crime goes unpunished. No one gets away with anything. Judgment will will happen inevitably in one of two places. It will either be laid upon the person who committed the crime or it will be laid upon the broken, crucified body of Jesus. But justice will come. And so the good news for you is that the burden, the responsibility of exacting justice on the perpetrator of whatever crime you faced, you can take take great comfort in knowing that it's going to happen. It's going to happen and not in your control. God will bring everything into judgment. We can pray for justice in this life and we'll pray with you that it happens. And if you have any legal ability to bring justice to someone who has hurt you, you absolutely should do it. 
I'll make no, no bones about that. But it's not guaranteed that it'll happen because life is unpredictable. But here's what is predictable. You can absolutely count on it 10 out of 10 times. God will bring justice eventually to all sin. So take, take comfort in that. Number four, two more. Express your pain to Jesus. Express your pain to Jesus. There's a, a variety of reasons for, for why this is true, for why I would tell you this. I don't have time to tell them all. It would probably be a whole sermon series in and of itself. But, he, but here's, here's primarily why for the purposes of this message is that he is Lord over all the things that you are not. And so he's a good candidate to bring your pain and suffering too. Here's what I mean. Think about the life lessons we just talked about, these depressing life lessons that the, the teacher of this seminar just laid forth. Time remembers nothing except for not for Jesus. Jesus created time. He exists outside of it. Jude 25, he says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. He is outside of time because he, he created it. He's Lord over time. What about death comes for everyone? Yeah, except for Jesus. Jesus conquered death. Revelation 1, verses 17 and 18. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. He's Lord over death. Death may come for us all, but we serve the one who has authority even over death itself. Life lesson number three, no one can predict anything, but Jesus can because Jesus is God. Remember what God said in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10? Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10, I love this. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Listen, you can't control the past or the future or death. All you have is the present. All you can do is confront what is right in front of you right now. But you also serve a Lord who controls it all. He's sovereign over it all. He has authority over it all. So you take all of it to him. Your pain, your questions, your skepticism, your doubt, your worry, your anger, your confusion, all of it. He can handle it all. He's Lord of it all. You express your pain to Jesus and last... You express your pain in community. You work through this stuff with other people as God intended you to do in community. God himself exists eternally in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a divine community within its own right. We are created in his image, and therefore one of the needs of us as image bearers of God is community. So deal with it in community. It's one of the reasons why we unapologetically and unflinchingly promote freedom groups as much as we do any other ministry in our church. Because we believe that there is not only things God wants you to know in your head through Bible study and things that God wants you to do with your hands in community, but there is someone God wants you to become in your heart through the freedom group process. And the signups are happening right now. You can literally get on your phone right now. Don't do it because I want you to hear what I say. But afterwards, you can get on your phone right after this and you can sign up for a group and begin dealing with this painful experience that you've had that you've probably never told anyone about. I'm, I would be willing to put $1,000 down. I won't because I'm not a betting guy, right? Christian pastor. But I'd be willing to bet that there are some of you in this room who have an experience in your life you've never shared with anyone. 
and it's eating you alive. You take your pain to Jesus, but you do it in community. Stop putting this off. Stop dwelling on the past. Quit worrying about the future. All you have is right now. So do, do, deal with it. Confront what is right in front of you right now. It's part of why our mission at City on a Hill is in part safe place, safe process. Becoming a safe place for people to let go of their secrets. That happens in the freedom group. But you need a process. So you're not just dumping it all out, but that you can actually sort through it and work through it and figure out how you feel and how God can heal you by the power of his Holy Spirit. What is stopping you from that? What is stopping you? Is it pride? Do you, do you just not want people to see you as someone who has problems? Spoiler! We know you do. You're not fooling anyone. Is it, is it fear? I mean, I can imagine that's probably true for a lot of you, but remember, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, of timidity. We have fear of the Lord. That's a different kind of fear. God didn't give us a spirit of cowardice. Is it fear preventing you from signing up? Is it doubt? Are you just unsure or uncertain that it's going to make any difference in your life? Well, here's, here's the great news. If it doesn't, you're no worse off than you are right now. But if it does, imagine the change. Imagine the freedom. The release. Try it and see what happens. Try it. Give yourself over to this, this process, this experience of, of walking through the things that you never wanted to share. You'll find tremendous healing. You'll find tremendous freedom. And what you'll find is new opportunities to not only walk in, in the fellowship of God as one of his children, born again, renewed, and dwelled by his spirit, but an opportunity then to walk with other people who have your experience and speak hope to them in a meaningful and tangible way that no one else who hasn't experienced what you and they have experienced could. That is the power of the body of Christ. That is the, that's why we say all the time that church is not just a place you come to. The church is his body. And when you begin to tap into it, when you begin to really figure out where you fit in all of this, it's incredible. It's an amazing journey that God will take you on. It requires a step in faith to say, I'm letting go. I'm letting go of control. I'm admitting powerlessness. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to allow God to do his work and his timing, confront what's in front of me, and live in wisdom. Amen? Pray with me. Father, thank you for a very challenging book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. Thank you for the, the very difficult reminders, life lessons, if you will, that we get from this teacher. It's difficult to understand when we read this book, but, but Lord, my prayer is that we, we've all been able to see how when we really break this thing down to the, the main idea of this book, we figure out really quickly why Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament and how it has also influenced so greatly so much of even the New Testament. He's saying what you have just reaffirmed by your spirit in all the other books of the Bible. We can't control the past or the future. That is only for you. You and you alone are God. We are not. All we can do is what we can do right now in the present, what you give us right now. So help us make the best use of our time. Help us not be controlled by fear or pride or 
or any other feeling that would prevent us from walking in obedience, God, because we know that when we finally do, when we walk in obedience and we begin to work through this stuff, you begin to transform us more into the powerful image of Jesus. And you open opportunities for more ministry and more purpose than we could ever imagine. It isn't a pretty picture, God, but it's actually a very beautiful picture when you see it from further away. So we rejoice in that. We rejoice that you are God, you are Lord, even over our pain, and that you have a plan and purpose for us. Help us obey. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are coming back next week, and we are going to finish this series in the book of Job. Last week was all about choices. This week is all about circumstances. Next week is all about conflict. And... Um, I'm really looking forward to wrapping it up with you. I hope it's been uh, uh, an enjoyable and encouraging and challenging experience. I do want to make one quick announcement um, that we missed at the welcome, which is uh, our Authentic Relationships Conference is also coming up. So much of what we talked about today uh, applies to that conference as well. Dr. Chris Thurman is going to be the keynote there. He's much nicer than the teacher of Ecclesiastes, I promise. Uh, and uh, So sign up for that and uh, see what God does in your life. God bless you. See you next time.